everybody, you're listening to the Church Theology Podcast, a podcast on the church for the church. My name is Kirk Miller, here with Dan Allen. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I was making fun of Dan last episode for sounding like Tim Allen from Home Improvement. Uh, So, um, let's see where we're... Or Tim Allen sounds like Dan. Right, that's what I meant. That's what I meant. Um, So, we are in the uh, the series on how to read the Bible, and we're, we're looking at this question of how to read a passage in light of Christ. So we're mm-hmm. operating from the conviction that we not only want to understand what a passage meant within the uh, boundaries of its original setting and as it was intended for its original audience, mm-hmm. but also in light of the fact that every passage of Scripture is part of a larger story the larger canon of scripture that mm-hmm. has its center in Jesus. And so we always want, we always want to ask as well, how does uh, the meaning of a passage, how does a claim of a passage relate to Christ mm-hmm. and the Christ event? How does it fit into that broader story? Mm-hmm. The last couple episodes, we looked at the whole that, story, the whole yeah, story, what that story is. That, yeah. yeah. And now we have a, we have a, a sort of a, a mechanism, a, an acronym yeah. that we like to use. That's more focused now on the methodology, the actual how to, of interpreting a passage in light of Christ and in light of that larger story. Yeah. So we've looked at the what of the story, but now we're going to yeah. look at the how of how you actually go about interpreting in light of the yeah. story. Yeah. So really right now, if you remember the um, picture for this principle, that remember this, the principle is stated as uh, unless you have the whole picture, you have a hole in your interpretation. So uh, 2A in our uh, faithful, path, path. faithful path to interpretation, 2A is like a puzzle piece. It's just the individual piece itself. Part of a larger picture, the puzzle. Uh, on the picture uh, for the principle, it's drawing an arrow from the, taking the puzzle and putting it into the picture, right? So what we want to do is that process, the arrow. We want to look at Actually, the arrow, the actual the, process of take, putting yeah, take the puzzle the piece and put it in there. Yeah. Um, and we, we want to do that because Jesus seemed to read the Bible like that as well. Like he's, he saw the Bible all pointing to him, right? And the apostles did. That's how they read the Old Testament scriptures, everything pointing to Jesus. And we want to be faithful to that as well. Um, part of what we want to do, B.B. Uh, Warfield uh, evidently uses this illustration of um, the Old Testament authors and audience was, was sort of like somebody walking into a room and the lights were, were dimmed, right? And so you have all these like structures in the room and all these like uh, elements. And, you know, if you've ever been in a dim room, you can, it, you know, as you sit there for a while, you can start to see things. You can't make them out entirely. Like you can right? make out the silhouettes. Like yep. maybe there's a yeah. sofa or something like that. Yeah. And you can feel things, but, but you can't quite make all the details out. Yeah. If somebody were to turn on the switch, all of a sudden everything becomes clear. Yeah. And that's what happens with the coming of Christ and the New Testament. Uh, now we can look back and everything becomes clear where the whole story was headed. Yeah. And we're not right? saying then, using the illustration, we're not saying when we interpret a passage in light of Christ that we're adding some sort of new or alternative meaning. Right, that's right. We're saying, no, it's part of that meaning. That's why we, in the faithful path of interpretation, we call this... The, the 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 connection is between 2A and 2B. That's They're right. both a part of 2. They're both a part of the meaning of the passage. That's right. What, the illustration of turning on the light switch, that, where that's helpful, is it shows like it's not that all of a sudden you turn on the light switch, there's actually new elements to the room you were that's standing right. in. Like the room yeah. is the same. All the furniture is the same. What you're doing is you're actually seeing it 
clearly. You're able to situate things more properly. That's right. Yeah. So a part of our process then, we just want to stay on that faithful path to interpretation. So we hit 2A. What does the passage mean in its original setting? What did those, that first audience understand the author's claim to be? And we, we want to be clear about that, right? You, you, that's where the harder work is done. Once you've seen that, you're going to go directly from there and come on over. To 2B. Uh, to 2B. Yeah. Which means we're going to ask the question that says, how, um, how does the main point of this passage, not, the question is not, what is some detail in the passage and how does that point us to Jesus? That would be going down to point, uh, step one in the, in the, on the faithful path. Yeah. That's how we get to like allegory and spiritualizing. Yep. Like kind of like going from, going up to 2A, yep. but then going back to 1. Right. Over then to 2B. That's right. We want to continue the path. We don't want to go back down to 1 and find no. some incidental sort of observation, That's piece right. of observation from the past that we connect to Jesus. We want to say, how does 2A, how does the actual claim, what the passage is actually doing, how yeah. does that connect to 2B? That's right. Connect to Christ. That's right. And when we do that, um, the acronym we use uh, just uh, says that there's six ways, or you might think of six roads, that this passage might lead towards the Christ event. Yep. Which that's what we'll we'll work on are the six pathways. Really, how how this these came about was just taking um, the list that many authors had given, uh, doing some work from Sinclair Ferguson has a list of four ways that the passage points to Jesus. Tim Keller uh, in his, that I don't know if you ever listened to that class with Ed Clowney. Yeah. On, it was, on yeah, iTunes University. Or yeah. Whatever. They yeah. had five ways that a passage uh, okay. points to Jesus. Nancy Guthrie had some work that had eight ways. Uh, Sidney Gradanis in his uh, fantastic book, uh, preaching Christ. What is, what is that one called? How to preach Christ from the Old Testament? Preaching Christ from the Old Testament and contemporary hermeneutical method. A little bit more on the scholarly level, I would say, or seminarian level. But he had seven ways that a passage points to Jesus. Really, I just spent a lot of time thinking over all the the lists that I'm reading of all these different authors, and I tried to condense them and say because there's at times overlap and certain lists are missing certain things. And I was able to, it seemed like there were six ways uh, that just so happens to fit the acronym of Christ. So we're asking, how does the main point of the passage direct us to the Christ event? Now, by Christ event, that's referring to Christ's life, death, burial, resurrection, and present reign. Just think of Christ coming Mm -hmm. in, the the Son of God. So we're not only thinking of Jesus death right mm-hmm. on the cross, and would you right? include like second coming as well like that's his right full yep. work? yeah yep. so we're talking about his full work we're not yeah so you what you wouldn't want to hear is that we're trying to connect see how every passage connects simply to his like that's atoning right. death like there's more like the all of scripture pointing to christ it points to christ in fuller ways than just that but each of these so we're going to follow the acronym christ c-h-r-i-s-t and we're yeah. going to break that down in the, the following uh episodes and look at each of those letters yeah. which represents a different road as you said yeah that's right to seeing those connections that's right now i i just want to stress one more time that we want to we want to understand what 2a is what did that passage mean to the original audience the original sense of the yeah. passage we don't want to just pull we don't want to just because oftentimes this is what happens is when folks thinks about a, think about uh connecting a passage to christ they will do all the work really well to find what the passage is saying, but then all of a sudden, like a something, some like switch occurs. Yeah. Where then, when they go to think about how it connects to to Christ, they kind of 
set aside what the passage meant. Right. And they find some sort of detail that maybe they're just kind of getting imaginative and creative. Mm -hmm. and and, uh, But then it's actually setting aside an organic connection between what the passage is saying and Christ. That's right. Um, I've, uh, the, I, you know, at times I've, I've heard, uh, folks say that moving from 2A to 2B is, is the most difficult part of interpretation. And I know you and I have had the yeah. discussion where if, if we're actually staying on the main point and getting that clear, the transition is actually quite clear. It's typically, yeah. it's typically one of the easier parts. Yeah. I because think. it's, or, yeah. it's organic. Yeah. And once you kind of know the six possible ways that a passage would be directing us to the Christ event, it, it, it's quite clear. Yeah. Now, there might be multiple roads or something, and you're just going to take the one that's most organic. But I don't feel like this part is the complicated part. Yeah. It's it, the Once hardest you part understand is, that's right. the principles, then it's not. Yeah. Yeah. The actual doing of it is, is normally... It normally, once you've understand... once If you understand the principles, once you've been able to discern 2A, mm-hmm. what the passage that's is right. doing in surgical setting, normally it's it's... The, the the next step into two B how it connects to Christ is pretty it normally comes pretty obvious yeah that's right uh, and another like uh, just anecdotally anecdotal anecdotally that's like a yeah that's a hard word to say anecdotally <laughs> I don't even know if I've ever well, said for you it. for you yeah. <laughs> that's true you said it in your head and that's it true. sounded and I, so good yeah, you never I actually know. had to say it out loud I know I, I thought I was like I'm gonna do it I'm sitting here going I'm gonna I'm try gonna it I'm gonna try it, it. Yeah. <laughs> anyhow he was like uh, winding uh, up an- and everything <laughs> another example would be you know I, I've had I'll have People come to me before and ask me if, like, such and such in the text is it is it functioning as a type of Jesus? And my first question is like, well, I don't know, like, what do you what do you think the main point of the passage is? Um, because I, I don't I don't feel like I'm in a position to answer that question unless I know what the main point is. Because if yeah. the author is not emphasizing that, um, in other words, like as we get into typology, just because the tabernacle is in the passage doesn't mean that that's the central piece that it's functioning as a type. Now other Times maybe yeah. maybe so it may be but, a type sort of in itself, but it yeah. may not that that element of the its typological um, nature may not actually be at the forefront That's of this right. passage. Yeah, yeah. And so we want to know what does the passage mean to the original audience. And then we're going to make the move. So we got to do our, our hard work um, there. Um, and the other thing I would say before we jump into it is um, if if we get to two B and there's like it seems to have like we look back at. 2A and we've lost the connection, then, then we've done something wrong, mm-hmm. right? So, like, it's, we should be able to go or back organically the other way as yeah, well. Yeah. It should be quite clear to us. So, every um, path on the faithful path of interpretation should be, a, there should be clear lines where we understand how we've gotten from 1 to 2A to 2B to 3. Yeah. It should yeah. be a very organic process. That's right. All right. Should we jump into one? Yeah. All right. So, again, we're following C-H-R-I-S-T. We're going to start with C here. Yeah. What is C in our acronym? So, C stands for a command or a, you could say a biblical ethic, but a command. Uh, it starts with C. Why okay. don't we, sorry, why don't we actually just say what all of them are at the beginning oh, here? Yeah. And okay. then just to give people like a very quick overview, and then we'll jump into Good C. Good point. So, command of a biblical yeah. ethic. So, it's, it's a command that can only be fulfilled and empowered by Christ. Okay. H would be a hope that can only we can only embrace because of the work of Christ. So think promise. Yep. Um, God gives promises. Who are the promises for? It's not for the, everybody in the world, but it's for those who are in Christ. Um, R would be a recurring theme that climaxes in the work of Christ, uh, like the love of God or the justice of God or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I would be an ill 
that can only be made right uh, by the work of Christ. So there's something drastically wrong in the, it's just a hard, darker passage. Yeah, the passage and, is highlighting something wrong. That's, that's right. actually its point. That's and right. that wrongness can only be remedied by Christ. Yeah, that's right. Um, S would be a storyline movement, uh, meaning we're, that the author is intentionally trying to bring us forward in the story of redemption because God promised it in Genesis 3 and we have to get to the place where this, the seed crusher comes. Yeah, so this so, one was, it was a focus on actually just the point of the passage really has to do with moving the story forward That's to right. Christ. That's right. Yeah. And, and then the T? last would T is type, uh, type, a type uh, of the Christ to come. Mm-hmm. So, so typology. Any, yes, typology. Yeah. So it would be a, a person, an event, or a, a piece of the ceremonial system that uh, it was part of history or real in history that was intentionally pointing forward. Creating a yeah a deliberate God design pattern that's anticipating something that's right. more yeah yeah so those are the six and now you've already mentioned C C is a is a command or an ethic that is that can only be fulfilled by Christ like He fulfills mm-hmm. it for us on our behalf something mm-hmm. that we can't uh, a command that we fail to keep mm-hmm. but He c- completes for us yeah but then also one that we then are empowered yeah, we can only right. be empowered to keep that's right by His empowering that's right yeah so. Um, if you just think think through it slowly here a little bit, um, anytime we hear like a command, we should think that the command is good, right? Paul tells us in Romans that the law is good and perfect and holy, right? The law is not evil. Yeah. The law is good. It was meant for our good. Now, we are evil. Right? Yeah. <laughs> we, we look at it like it's bad, like it's constricting us, but the law is good. Like any good parent gives good laws to their kids. And we sometimes treat the law as kind of in a negative light because we realize the law does serve a negative fun- function within God's program in mm-hmm. the sense of it points out our sin and it condemns us. But then we sort of like, we can get a skewed view of the law when we make the sum total of the law, it's negative function. Like the mm-hmm. law also right, right. is very, very much it's dominant. Like reality is a positive function to actually instruct us yeah. in what is good and what is wise, what's good for us. Yeah. So the, the law is commanding good things that we yeah. that God wants us to actually do. Yeah, that's right. The problem is us, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> we failed to keep the law. And uh, that's where the big problem arises. God, not only uh, um, do we reject the law, but then we don't even have the strength to actually fulfill it. So now we have we deserve judgment because we've broken the law, and we can't actually fulfill it. Hence the reason why we need Christ uh, to come in and actually uh, fix the problem, uh, both in the sense of taking the punishment for us and then fixing us from within so that we actually can walk in the good of the command. Yeah, fulfilling the law for us and then fulfilling the law in us, we might say. That's and this right. was a big part of the story we saw with Israel under the Mosaic Covenant, under the, the Ten Commandments and their inability to obey. They experience the curse. They need a new yeah. covenant that actually provides forgiveness, deals with the curse, but also by God's spirit empowers them to obey. So we see this a lot within the storyline of scripture. That's right. Um, I I like uh, Tim Keller uh, in in that class that we referenced. Uh, he, He says this, he says, Jesus is the only way to truly take the law seriously. He is the only way to truly receive it. The law does demand that we be perfectly holy. So we are not really listening to the law if we think we can obey it. The law is saying, in effect, you can never fulfill me. You need a savior. Yeah, I like that because basically, when we're when we're faced with a command from God, we we're, we're oftentimes tempted in one of two directions: either we want to soften the command, as if like, well, yeah, God says, don't do not grumble, and that's 
don't grumble about really big things. Yeah. I can grumble about a lot. We make excuses for it. We kind of tone it down. Yeah. So we want to soften it. Or we want to act like we actually have the power to do it. Yeah. Like, Legalism. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah, we walk out and we feel good. Like, yeah, let's not grumble. I'm not yeah. going to do it anymore. We think we take it, we, we, in our mind, we think we take it seriously. But the thing with legalism is that the problem with legalism isn't that it, sometimes people have the idea that legalism is just being too, um, t- thinking too highly of the law. Mm-hmm. Where actually mm-hmm. legalism doesn't take the law seriously enough. Yeah, good point. It's actually, it's not taking the law too seriously. It needs, it actually needs to have a higher view of the law to realize that we can't keep it. Yeah. 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 That's right. Um, so, not, so in, in that sense, when we read the law, uh, any kind of command or biblical ethic, we shouldn't feel strong in our own self, nor should we feel, um, like we want to soften it. But the gospel also tells us we sh- we need not feel condemned, right? Because what we need to do is first step step back and go, that's a good command for me, and yet I'm too weak to, to fulfill it, and I deserve the judgment of God for that. And yeah. so that should then direct us quickly to the Christ event, because Jesus is the one that came and took the punishment for our sins. He's the one in whom we find uh, redemption, forgiveness of sins, right? There's now no, therefore now no condemnation for us in him. Right. And so we run to Christ to receive our forgiveness and then also to receive the new heart and the new, uh, the Holy Spirit. Now, right. I'm not saying we get a new heart and Holy Spirit every time or anything like that. Yeah. It's just like that as we come into the covenant, that's the promise that we have that it's the gospel that actually now is going to empower us yeah. to actually walk in the A renewed appreciation for the new heart go. that we've yeah. been given in the gospel. Yeah. And so it's a both. And so we hold both of those elements. In other words, we, we, when we come to a passage where the main thrust of the passage is to communicate a command that God has for us Mm -hmm. we simultaneously realize we don't keep it Mm -hmm. and we run to christ and we simultaneously realize that god intends for us to keep it Mm -hmm. and we run to christ yeah yeah that's right so we do both of those yeah yeah so and when we talk about the law then uh, like as you're talking with somebody say you're in you know just a small group or whatever and you're maybe somebody's struggling with something and you want to point out like uh the commands that god gives to us like you shouldn't be doing that this is what god says yeah. like that's a good it's a good thing to right? do yeah what, what we want to avoid is talking to someone and just giving them the law as if the same way uh you know some person on television could that doesn't worship jesus yeah. right so just or some just some person on the street because every every most people in the world would say um you should be kind to other people yeah right? they can give they can give some sort of ethical Injunctions, you know, like yeah. we ought to do this, but there's no gospel behind it right. that accounts for the fact that we often don't, and we need actual, we actually need God's intervention to be able to do it. Yeah. So we shouldn't right. shy away from using the law when we're counseling someone. Mm-hmm. That would be one danger. The law is good; it's mm-hmm. useful. That's right. But we we situate it in light of how the law functions in Scripture. It's always for the believer. It's always empowered by the gospel. That's right. So again, if we then we come back and we, we're reading a passage, and it seems that. 2A, the main claim of the passage or the, the main movement of the passage is to to um, proclaim a biblical ethic to us or a command to us. Love the Lord your God with all your heart uh, and soul, mind, and strength. Mm-hmm. Or uh, do not grumble or consider the, the um, desires of others above yourself yep. or pursue the unity of the body. Um, lay down your life and serve other people. Um, when you move into the land, be careful that you do not forget the Lord. Like on and on and on and on we could go, right? There's a lot of passages that like that is going to be the main point of the passage. Like that author is trying to, to, to lay this before us and say, pursue this. This is right. This is good for you. Yeah. Um, then we want to step back and we want to, there's this time to repent 
because we failed to do that. Um, also to confess that we don't have the strength to do that. And then um, also seek the power that we can have. And all of that happens in the gospel. We've received the forgiveness and the power to move forward. Yeah. One one question I could see someone having is like, well, doesn't every passage of scripture want us to like respond respond to it and live differently and in that sense live out a command or live out an ethic so to distinguish mm. what we're talking about here isn't like in that sense yes every passage mm-hmm. would have us apply it yeah but it's we're like talking a transformational about transformational yeah. intent of, of every passage of every passage yep. but what we're talking about here is that if the passage actually has like in its form yep. its primary thrust is to give a command yep. not simply that a not simply that there's some sort of response implied right. by the passage which right. will be the case in every passage yep. but specifically that the very form of the passage its main claim is to proclaim some sort of command or some sort of ethic that we ought to be following. That's right. Yeah. And in that case, this is how we want, we see, okay, when we look at the overall storyline of scripture, how do commands like that connect to Christ and the Christ event? It does so by him fulfilling it on our behalf Mm -hmm. and then fulfilling it in us through his spirit. That's right. Yeah. And that, that then is an empowering way to pursue that. So we should hear the law then, uh, or the commands of God or the biblical ethics, not so much as you must do this, but now, believer, you can do this. You've been empowered. And so we, and, and that by the end uh, of walking away from the passage, we should feel empowered by God to pursue the command. Yeah, so I like this. Yeah, I like this quote that uh, sometimes gets attributed to John Bunyan along these lines. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm pulling it up on Google here. Uh, there's different renditions of it, but essentially it goes something like, it goes something like this Run, John, run the law commands, but gives us neither feet nor nor hands mm. can't run mm-hmm. doesn't give me the mm-hmm. feet or hands far better news though the gospel or the new covenant brings it bids us fly and gives us wings mm. yeah that's good now that you're pulling up quotes i got uh saint augustine okay that, go that's for where it. he oh said, yeah his prayer in the confessions yeah, grant, grant what thou commandest and then command what thou wilt yeah it's like as long as you grant me whatever grant me whatever grant me the you power want. that yeah. i can fulfill it grant me whatever you want yeah, that's right. So just to give an example of what this would look like on the ground so that mm-hmm. it's not just feeling theoretical or abstract, but people kind of know what this looks like. For yeah. example, in the uh, letter of, of, to the Ephesians, Paul tells them in chapter four to put on the new self and to put on, put off the mm-hmm. old self. Mm-hmm. So the, the thrust of this passage is that command. It's yeah. a, this command to put on the characteristics of the, of the new humanity in Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, to live differently. Yeah. So that's really the thrust. We would yeah. say, okay, when we're understanding the passage, the thrust of the passage yeah. is that sort of putting yeah. on idea. By, by that you mean, because he gives several examples after that, Yep. but they're examples of that command. Right. Yes. So all those are examples, of the, the, how you kind that's of right. tie it all together is yep. that those are all different ways you do this kind of ultimate thing that Paul's after, yeah. putting on the new man. That's right. And so how does that connect to Christ? Well, uh, this is maybe a really easy example, but mm-hmm. there's the assumption in the passage, you know, that we've actually, that we have that new man in mm-hmm. Christ. The only reason I can put on the new man, I can fulfill that command is because Jesus is actually empowering mm-hmm. me to mm-hmm. do so, that he is actually, uh, in him, I have died to the old self and mm-hmm. I've been raised with him, as Paul says earlier in the letter, in Christ to actually be a new humanity. Yeah. And so I'm not just... I'm not coming to this passage and just hearing it as law, like Mm -hmm. do this Mm -hmm. just on its own. And I'm just given a law that I can't fulfill. But Mm -hmm. actually the passage includes that 
the element where I'm actually able to fulfill this precisely mm-hmm. because Christ is the one doing it in me. He's, mm-hmm. he's enabling me. He's provided the very conditions by which I can put on the new self because yeah. he is that new humanity for me. Yeah, that's good. And one, one other uh, way that sometimes this this particular one gets talked about um, is, is the difference between of moralist, reading the passage moralistically, a moralistic command versus uh, what some would call like grace-motivated command or yeah. a um, gospel-motivated uh, command. Yeah. 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 Which is exactly what you're doing. Yeah. All right. So the, the next uh, the next letter in the acronym is H. So remind yes. us what H stands for. So that for. is a hope that can only be embraced because of the work of Christ. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so again, like I said earlier, um, the promises of God are, are given, but they they don't necessarily uh, they're not necessarily good news for everybody. Uh, let me give give you an example in Psalm uh, Psalm five. Psalm 5, 5, uh, the author says, The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. Later in the same psalm, he says, You bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. So here we, we have in the very same psalm, God talking about two different people's uh, groups of people. One God hates and one God blesses, right? And so we shouldn't think when we hear the promises of God that it, they're just like blanket statements for everybody. Mm-hmm. The, the only way that we can actually embrace the promises of God is that if we are the people of God, the covenant people of God, like we are the righteous according to the psalm, not because of what we've done, but because we have a substitute, yeah. right? And so the, the people who can embrace the promises of God are those who have been brought near into the family of God through a substitute. Yeah. So the promises are good for those who are actually recipients of them. That's right. So we have to deal with the question of how we're recipients through Christ. That's right. Now, these promises are meant to be very encouraging for for those saints, right? Now, that's that's the idea, just the simple way to state it. Uh, There's another level that's worth kind of thinking about because there's different types of promises that we find in the scriptures that direct us to Christ in different ways, different ways. Right. So, um, take, for example, there are some promises that are directly fulfilled. They're Mm -hmm. stated uh, in one way. They're fulfilled exactly the same way. Like sometimes these are referred to as like direct promises or explicit references. That's right. So explicit promises, uh, like Micah. Micah, That's right. Micah five, two. Yep. How the Messiah will be born born in Bethlehem. Bethlehem. And that's exactly what happens. Exactly how it happens. Yep. Um, another type of promise would be that it's, it's fulfilled in a different fashion. I mean, there might be better ways to say it. Um, but it's sort of, as it's talked about, um, uh, or promise is sort of dressed up in one way and it gets unfolded a different way. For example, um, when the Messiah comes, you know, it's going to bring like the mountains are going to be laid flat. Right, and all the crooked paths are going to be made straight. The, the, um, the, the prophet using a very um, geographic, geographical, yeah, description. Right, it's, yep. it's prophetic language. He's using pictures. Now, when Jesus comes and John the Baptist comes before him as the forerunner, the mountains don't go flat, mm-hmm. right? But he's talking about like this is going to be so dramatic that even the whole earth is going to be changed, right, or whatever it is. But he's, it's not fulfilled exactly in that sense, right? A different fashion. Uh, a third way would be like a recurring promise 
that just continues to be fulfilled again and again and again and again. So like we're talking about a promise that like God hears the cries of his people. That that's not just a one, one time fulfillment only for David. Yeah. That's a promise that's fulfilled again and again and again and again and again. Right. Or, uh, God, um, will comfort his people or whatever it is. Uh, so some promises are fulfilled like that. Uh, then we have some that are um, sort of like increasing in height and depth and breadth. It just keeps growing as you go escalation. along. Escalation. Yeah. So you could think of, uh, say, the, the promise of the land to Abraham, where that, that promise just continues to grow and grow and grow uh, to where... Um, even in the New Testament, it's the, uh, Jesus says, the meek shall inherit the earth, uh, or, the, or the church, uh, God's people have come to the city of God, that the people of God have now come to the, the place of God. Or in the, by the time you get to the end of the, the scriptures, it's the whole new heavens and the new earth. Mm-hmm. Right. So the, this promise just continues to grow and grow and grow. Um, one way I've thought about this, uh, I don't know, you can tell me, there's probably benefits and not benefits to this example. I, I've thought about it like, if if somebody five generations ago um, was leaving an inheritance for my time, right? In the, in the in their will, they said five generations from now, I'm leaving all this money, this investment, so that now five generations from now, you buy the best um, transportation available, mm-hmm. right? Now in their time, all that they had the best transportation were like some some stallions in a carriage or something like that, right? Assuming that's you know, whatever. By the time it gets down to me, am I going to go out and buy stallions? No, I'm going to get you know. I'm going to get like you can get your Harley. <laughs> That's right, <laughs> the Harley, uh, or or you know some some Tesla or a, a private jet or something. Yeah. Right. But yeah. It, to to actually buy a stallion it would be going backwards. Yeah. Right. This this promise keeps growing and growing and growing, and so some promises are like that where they just keep growing and growing and growing. Um, what, what do you think about that? Yeah, I've heard that before. The idea of like promising huh. a vehicle. Maybe somebody stole it from me. Maybe somebody. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Or, you know, I, I'm sure I stole it from or someone Or accidentally else. <laughs> stole it from Yeah. But I've heard that before. Where it's like someone promising someone like a bicycle. But then as, you know, transportation mechanisms, you know, develop and are further invented, they end up fulfilling that promise by giving someone a, a vehicle, yeah. like a car. Yeah. So the idea that it's not thwarting the promise or like in that way changing it but it's just following the trajectory of development yeah that's right now as you're talking about it i can't remember what book it was but i did get it i think a lot of people have used illustration (laughs) so you probably didn't steal it from one person it's a it's like a public domain that's why it feels so a part of me yeah it's like you just read from all over uh and the the last way would be like sort of installment so a promise is given and it kind of unfolds Mm -hmm. in installments right so um some would argue like uh uh, Luke, uh, Luke four, and Jesus' first sermon in the um, in the temple. Uh, it was the, temple. Uh, the synagogue. The synagogue. Yeah, yeah. Um, quoting from Isaiah sixty one yep. that he leaves out the part of the day of vengeance of the Lord. Yeah, right. Because that day's that day's still coming. But um, so he he reads part of the promise, and that's being fulfilled in his arrival. But the like other the part day still of jubilation come. is here, but the day yeah. of wrath is yet. Or like, yeah. so it kind of comes in two stages is, yeah. is the idea of that interpretation. Or like another one would be with Paul. We are, the, the, the hope has always been a resurrection, like a unified resurrection. And yet it comes in the installment of first being raised with Christ spiritually, we might say. Mm-hmm. That's its first mm-hmm. installment. Um, yeah. But will ultimately be resurrected physically as well. So one resurrection with two installments. Yeah, yeah, that's right. 
So all, all that to say that all, all of God's promises will be fulfilled. All of God's promises are yes in Christ, um, but they are fulfilled in different manner at times. Yeah. Um, but let's do a quick example. Maybe we can go to Psalm 3. Uh, it's a nice and shorter psalm. Yeah, so what we want to do here is if we're, if we're in a passage of Scripture where the main thrust, its claim, is actually communicating a promise. That's mm-hmm. what we're dealing with here. Passages yep. that There might be passages that have elements of promise, and that's yep. true. But what we're trying to say is when the main claim of the passage is actually communicating a promise, yeah. we want to say, okay, then how does, the, how does that promise connect to Christ? Yeah. How, does it, how does Jesus ultimately play into its fulfillment? Yeah, excellent clarification because, again, we're going to 2A. What does 2A say? Not just because there's a promise in the passage. Right. It's at the main point or the main, yeah. the main claim of the passage and I, is a promise. I think that can be one of the tricky things for people as they try to get their bearings on this yeah. acronym is that there's a lot of overlap between these. So we're yeah. trying to when you're trying to think through how does a passage connect to Christ, you're trying to say what is the what's the primary way? Yeah. The primary is it is the passage's claim primarily a promise or is promise just a part of it? That's right. So we're dealing right. with those where the promise is actually the prime is actually the what the primary claim of the passage is. Yeah. That's right. Is to communicate a promise. Okay, so Psalm three. All right, so Psalm three, I'll, I'll go ahead and read it. This is a psalm of David when he was fleeing from uh, Absalom, his son, who wanted to kill him. O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I woke again because the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. All right, so for just for the sake of discussion, this is what I had as the main point, at least at some point, um, that we, uh, or speaking from David, uh, he, uh, I will not be afraid of my enemies because God is my shield and my glory, my sustainer and my salvation. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't need to be afraid of my enemies because God himself is my shield, my sustainer, and my glory. And you're getting the promise element from like, it's essentially God's promise to be those To be things. the shield. Yeah. That's right. Right. And so, you know, if we're reading this as God's, uh, as God's people and we, we see the main claim is that God promises to be our shield, our defender, our glory. Uh, David doesn't, David realizes he might die here, but nonetheless, that doesn't change the fact that God is his shield and therefore he doesn't need to be afraid. He even sleeps. I mean, what an amazing thing. He lays down and sleep while he's got his own son and uh, potentially thousands around looking for him to kill him. Uh, but the promise that God will be a shield and salvation, he rests. Now, as we're reading that, we just ask the question, I mean, that's a wonderful passage, but what uh, do I have any right to say that that's true of me too? Mm-hmm. Well, it's Like that was true of David. He, yeah. He's acclaiming for himself. Yeah. yeah. But and what about us? That's right. You know? We want to justify making that move. Like a lot of yeah. people would read that and they just automatically assume it's for them. Right. Well, yeah. We want to make sure that that's appropriate. We want to right. justify that move. Yeah. All right. So if we want to make that move, how do we, how do we do that? How does this passage connect then to Christ and by extension to us? Yeah. I mean, we even, even we just, we saw in Psalm five, like God hates the boastful, um, but then he blesses the righteous. Who are the righteous? It's, it's those who have a substitute who have been brought near. And David looking forward to, um, not 
directly in the passage do we see a substitute, but David himself knows that he can only be made right with God through a sacrifice. Somebody has to die in his place. Now at that time it was a sacrificial system all pointing forward to the great Lamb of God who would come. And we are, we have no condemnation for us and are brought near to God only because of the death of Christ. And God promises to be for us. Uh, like, like Romans 8 says, if God be for us, who can be against us? Mm-hmm. He who did not spare his only son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Then he goes on that long piece, like, who shall separate us from the love of God? Yeah. Like, God is our shield, not because of who we are, but because of what Christ has done. He died in our behalf. He lived the righteous life, paid the penalty, and has brought us near. We are now God's children. Yeah. And so God is our shield because of Christ. And so when we read different passages of Scripture, like you said, there's going to be different sort of types of promises mm-hmm. we might find yep. in the Scripture. And, and so the moves are going to be, are going to, they're going to fit the same category, but look maybe slightly different. Yeah, so like when right. we're in a narrative and it's a promise about, you know, a promise to Abraham, what we want to do is we want to trace that storyline of Scripture right. to see how the promise to Abraham eventually comes to fulfillment and is then right. given to believers. Yeah, um, which good point. So, like, this would be this, that sort of promise that is continuously fulfilled. Yeah. It's just, again, for you, for me, for all of God's people yeah, who it's are more blood-bought. About the char- it's more about the a promise rooted in the character of God for his people, That's right. generally speaking. There's other promises that have to do with God's redemptive program. Yeah. Like, for example, when the people of God are in exile in, in Babylon, and there's a promise from Jeremiah that he's going to restore them. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. We, what we want to do is we want to account for the different nature of these yeah. promises, yeah. but ultimately say, how does that connect to Jesus yeah. and therefore um, become a promise that I actually experience? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So that's H. So we've covered uh, a command. Uh, is the main point a command that can only be fulfilled and empowered by Christ? Or maybe the maybe the main point is a hope or a promise that can only be embraced and enjoyed because of the work of Christ on our behalf. Yeah. So in these next two episodes, what we'll do is we'll look at R-I-S-T and we'll uh, finish out the acronym there. Mm-hmm.